Welcome to Front Porch Productions, a podcast brought to you by the Cherokee Scout. This is a place where neighbors get to know their neighbors. So grab a cup of hot chocolate, get yourself comfortable, and let me make a few introductions. I'm your Cherokee Scout host, Abigail Hickman. In this episode, first of all, you're going to meet three women, and all three women work for Reach of Cherokee County. Reach's mission is to lead the community in eliminating domestic violence and sexual assault through education, advocacy, self-empowerment, and community awareness. So just hearing their mission, you'll recognize immediately that some of the themes in this podcast will be heavy. The three women you're going to meet are Tiffany Crawford, the thrift store manager, and the thrift store proceeds are used to help fund the programs behind the scenes, which brings us to Cecilia Crawford. She is the executive director of REACH and oversees all of the programs, including educational programs, a safe haven shelter, a food pantry, and a clothing closet. And finally, you're going to meet Jessica Vernon, and she works as an advocate for REACH, meaning she stands in the gap with hospital officials, police officials, family members, mental health professionals to advocate for the clients who come to reach seeking assistance. Well, I was born and raised in Andrews. This is Tiffany Crawford. She's the thrift shop manager at Reach. I've been at Reach for almost five years. And I don't know, it was just one of those where it's like God led me and I was supposed to be here. And then once I got here, I didn't know nothing about thrift stores. I didn't know, you know, you know, thrift stores are just thrift stores, right? You just put stuff in the store and you just sell it. Oh, no. You know, there's a whole nother ballgame in thrift stores because you never know what you're going to get. You get some amazing antique stuff from 1903, and then you get stuff that's like, oh, you just gave me your household garbage. Thanks. Have a great day. You know, one of those. Throughout the interview, Tiffany remained very open. So I was a little surprised when she got a little cagey about what brought her to the thrift store. You came to the store. Mm-hmm. Did you come in the door as a customer? Nope. The director, she kind of recruited me. From to, where? Uh, just different places. I was confused why the director would see Tiffany around town and then eventually offer her a position in the thrift store. And here, Tiffany leaned in closely and whispered conspiratorially. Cecilia's my mother-in-law. Well, what's wrong with saying that? Well, because we don't want people to be like, oh, they hire family and oh, you know how people can be, especially in a small town. But she, she's their director and she's my mother-in-law. So I had... You She'd know, be proud of that. I, well, some people get a, you know, they're like, oh, you're, you know, she's the mother-in-law and you did a, you get special treatment, you know. So here, she's not my mother-in-law. We're professionals, you know, there's boundaries, she's there's limits. Boss. She is my boss. And oh, she eats me and spits me out. <laughs> Just like everybody else, you know? There's no Does favoritism. She do that when she's your mother-in-law and not your boss? No, not as much. <laughs> I want to be the voice for the voiceless. This is Cecilia Crawford. This is Tiffany's mother-in-law and boss, and also the executive director of Reach of Cherokee County. I was a mother at 14. The child she was pregnant with at age 13 and then birthed at age 14 is the one who grew up and fell in love with Tiffany, the manager of the thrift shop. And so I wanted to do something that I could support my child. So I took the nursing in high school and graduated as a nursing assistant. After high school, I went to college and the plans changed. I ended up being a secretary instead, ended up getting my master's degree finally, um, but I helped people start businesses for 24 years. And then I ended here at REACH. So Cecilia clearly had the educational pedigree and the business acumen to take over the position of executive director at REACH, but I knew that there was something more that drove her. And why this one? Why, Out of all the choices you had in town, and there are a lot of charities, what's special about here? It's very close to my heart because I was pregnant at such a young age, and being a victim of 
sexual assault and a victim of domestic violence. How um, old were you when you were sexually assaulted? Very young. And how did you heal from that? Was this organization around to help support you? No, it was not. So that's one of the reasons you want to be here. Yes. And suddenly, one of Cecilia's opening remarks to me made almost haunting sense. I want to be the voice for the voiceless. Cecilia is dedicated to championing a cause and becoming a voice because, of course, she knows what it's like to be silenced. This theme holds true for her daughter-in-law, Tiffany, as well. Tell me what you like about being here. I like being here because we get to help people. And we just don't help domestic violence and sexual assault people also. We get to help everybody and love on everybody. We have the blessing box outside so we can feed the homeless. We can feed the ones that, you know, don't have food at home to cook and da-da-da-da. We get to give the homeless jackets and blankets and socks. As I listen to Tiffany rattle off all of the services and products that REACH provides, I see a real excitement in her eyes. And I know that she connects to this cause in a personal way. When did you become interested in helping the homeless? Why is this? Is this a passion for you? Or <laughs> My passion is to help everyone. I but what's your experience that brought you to be concerned or even notice people have less than? I used to be strung out on drugs really bad. Which drugs? <laughs> All of them. All of them? If I could get high, that's what I did. Even like needle drugs? Well, let's see. I started 12 at drinking. By the time I was 15, I did pills. By the time I was 17, I uh, was introduced to speed. And then by the time I was... 20, I was completely strung out off of meth. You didn't have like a favorite drug? Oh, meth was probably what got you. Meth was my favorite favorite, but I would do them all, mix them all together. Let's have a party for How real. Did you stay alive? I did, and overdosed three times. <laughs> but God said, no, I'm not done. So I got clean, been clean 17 years. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. And and just that alone, and then when I got Jesus, it changed me. Because I used to be a horrible person. Mad, angry at the world, always want to fight, do really bad things. What's something bad that you did when you were a horrible person? <laughs> oh, let's see here. We would steal other people's drugs, beat up people. Um, what did that do for you? Did it just make you feel like you could release some rage? No, it, it made me more angry and more evil than when I was. It just fueled the fire of that emptiness, I guess. I don't know. Where did the rage come from? What caused you to start drinking at age 12? You were not even a full teenager. You know, it was cool to do. I went to my friend's house one night, and her parents got us drunk. Her that parents? Her parents got us drunk, and they thought that was funny and cool. And then you were—you have an addictive personality, so you took to it. I have a super addictive personality. By the time I was 15, I was a full-blown alcoholic. What did your parents think about that? My parents didn't notice. They didn't notice you were drunk all the time? They did not notice. I think they were in denial, and then plus they worked all the time, and they, you know, and I was had a very dominant personality, so I did what I wanted. I asked Tiffany about her little sisters, who she was often pressed into service to care for, because her parents worked so much. My siblings, oh, I introduced them both to drugs. And here, for the first time since we started talking, Tiffany looked sad. I asked her if her sisters were able to beat the drugs like she did, and she shook her head no. I asked her if she had guilt about that. I did. But, but, you know, at the same time now they are grown and I've asked them for forgiveness and I've, and they saw, they've seen me get clean. They see me, you know, be become a different person because when I got Jesus, it totally changed me. You know, I'm nice now. I like people now. I hug people. I want to love on everybody from the drug addicts to the homeless to the ones that got beat up. It's amazing when your customers, you do not know them and they walk up and say, can you pray for me? Yes, I can pray for you. One day we were in here cleaning, doing what we're doing now. And this girl, she was at the door, shaved head, no shoes on her feet, raining just like it is right now. And she was just walking back forth, trying to get under the cover to stay dry. I saw her. I brought her in. Her name was Lexus. I gave her shoes, I gave her underwear, socks, you know, fresh clothes to try on, you know, to put on, and gave her a blanket, and then she was on her way. I wondered how much of herself Tiffany saw in young Lexus, stranded alone, out in the rain. 
And Cecilia talks about this connection as well, how her experiences in her past shaped and informed the decisions she makes as an adult, and in particular, the relationships she builds through her position at REACH. Do you share your story with people who come in to make them feel less alone or less afraid? When it's appropriate. Well, you're really a warrior, aren't you? To have survived that and then do this. This is all I knew, so. What do you mean it's all you knew? I don't consider myself a warrior. I just consider myself having to do it. If you have to do it, then you do it. Why do you think it's necessary you do it? Because I didn't have a voice. And so I know what it's like. Well, you've become a trumpet now, haven't you? Uh, yeah, you can't hardly shut me up. So, When did you find your voice, do you think? I was probably around 30. What happened around 30 that caused you to feel that you had some power? I'm not really sure. It just kind of clicked. After getting all my degrees and working with the small business center at Tri-County and everyone building you up, and it's like you can do. And so I didn't know I couldn't do. I felt that we had opened up a closet in her heart that we hadn't yet explored. And so I decided to ask her about her sexual assault. Was the person who assaulted you prosecuted? No. I'm sorry. This is your closure for that then? Working here? Yeah, God played, and whether I'm supposed to talk about God or not. Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> Tiffany sure did. Yeah, God healed me. He's my healer. And In what way? How did God heal you? So I've got peace. I have made peace with everything that's ever happened to me. I'm good. And so I just want the ladies out there to know that, and the men, all victims, that there is life after abuse, any type of abuse. And if you don't know how to start, then you can come to us and we can hold your hand through that. I was a bit surprised to hear Cecilia use the term victim as she had been a little sticky about it earlier in our conversation. Actually, if at that time, if you'd have called me a victim, I'd have got very angry. Because Why? I'm not a victim. I've never been a victim. I'm not going to be a victim. You're not going to see me as a victim. I am a strong, independent woman. And I never really took on that persona. But I'm a survivor. I got through it. I am better for it. I've learned so much, and because of what I've been through, I can help others do the exact same thing I did. What does the word victim, what does that conjure up for you? It's a negative thing, then. It is a negative thing. So when we say victim, I do it on purpose, so it kind of just ticks me off and said there's a victim out there that's not a survivor. Cecilia told me that the battered and sexually assaulted women and men who come to her for help are victims when they arrive. They are victims. And so our goal here and my goal is to turn them into a survivor. A victim is a mentality. I ask her how she makes the demarcation between victim and how they arrive to survivor. I ask her about graduating with her master's degree where she walked across the stage and she turned the tassel from one side of the hat to the other and suddenly she went from student to a master scholar. I wanted to know how she measured success for the people that come for help. So one of the things that we just had happen is we had a 45-year-old woman that just paid her very first bill. Her very first bill. And so, I mean, we celebrated with her. I mean, that was her very first step of her being on her own and independent. And that, to me, that is graduating. That is an accomplishment. At 45, she's never paid her own bill. For Tiffany, the mark between addiction and sobriety doesn't feel quite as clean as Cecilia's marker of victim to survivor. In fact, it feels really blurry. Is it easy for someone to, uh, to acquire methamphetamine here? <laughs> is it? Yes, ma'am. And crack and, and pills. And all you got to do is just go to the right place. It's very easy. 
we're very consumed with drugs right now in the area. Do you ever have an urge to do drugs again or drink? Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> Every recovering is going to have an urge. If they don't, they're lying to themselves. And how do you handle that? What do you do instead? I just blow it off. I ignore it. I pray. I, I, I just try to shake it off at times. It's not always there, but it happens occasionally. You just have to, you cannot dwell on it. If you dwell on it, of course, you're going to go do it. You can't dwell on it. You have to move forward. And the idea of moving forward brings us to Jessica Vernon, the third woman in our story. If anybody knows something about moving forward, it would be Jessica. And how old were you when you were assaulted? Um, you were assaulted by a family member, so you must have been quite young when that happened. I was 10, 12, 14, 15, 16. So the younger years, that was the same perpetrator? No. Each one of those ages you mentioned is a different perpetrator? Yes. Within your family? The first two were family, yes. The other ones were not. Were you able to get protection from your parents? No. They didn't believe you or you didn't tell them? They didn't believe me. Was it because they needed to protect the family member? Mm-hmm. What did that do to you? It hurts, but that's a drive for what I do now. My, my job is to believe. And Tiffany certainly has earned her position as a believer. In one of her earlier assaults in the teen years by a stranger, she reported the assault to the police and the police didn't believe her. In fact, they were so annoyed by this young girl making this allegation against a member of the community that they charged her with false reporting. Um, One of the times I was actually the one that was going to be charged with false reporting because... They didn't believe you? They didn't believe me. Well, that would put you in this career. Yeah. How did that resolve? It ended up there was no charges pressed, um, and I actually had to move in order to not be charged. Is that in Murphy? No, that was in Pennsylvania. Wow, rough crowd up there. Yeah. So down here, you're a person who would help the police understand that someone is telling the truth. Yes. And as a victim, as a survivor, we sometimes embellish and sometimes don't tell our whole truth. Why? Because of the trust issues. So you'll get bits and pieces of the story, and it looks like they're lying, but they're really not. And then there's also sometimes where their story sounds so extravagant that it's almost unbelievable. But the craziest stories that you hear are usually the most dangerous situations, and they're true. Jessica keeps trying to steer the conversation to what her job is at REACH. And it's a comprehensive job. I am the outreach coordinator and school advocate, but I also do human trafficking as well. But I am still stuck on this idea that this young child was systemically abused her entire childhood into her teen years and was never believed. How did you handle not being believed? I wasn't believed by a lot of people. Why do you think that is? I'm not sure. I had really close family members that didn't believe me as well. But Jessica likes to keep the conversation back to what she does at REACH. It seems she's incredibly proud of the fact that she became the one person that was unavailable to her in her own childhood. She became a believer. No matter how crazy it is or how insane it might sound to someone, I believe it. So by you standing in the gap and being a believer for people who are telling their abuse stories, does that somehow offer you a sense of justice about what happened to you? In a way, yes. It actually came back around to me because of my daughter. She will be 10 this year, but she was three when she was molested by her brother. Okay, what now? Jessica was so casual in the way that she threw this information out, it took me a little while to catch up with the gravity of what she was telling me. And That's your son? My stepson. He's still in the family? He is, but she has not seen him since. He was 13. So you protected her, you believed her immediately? Yes. How did that feel to be on that side of it? That was amazing. But it also hurt because it was my son as well. So knowing I had to break up a family 
to get justice for my daughter was very hard. It was a very hard decision. And I understand why people don't. But for my daughter to have peace of mind knowing that I was there for her when she gets older is enough for me. It really struck me how many men had sexually assaulted her before she even turned 15. And it made me think of something Tiffany had told me about the homeless population in Murphy. They're everywhere. Man, especially the ones with the backpacks. When it's nice and warm out, you'll see them everywhere. And they got pods in different places. They got lots of pods. When I applied Tiffany's logic to Cecilia and Jessica's stories, it made me just think, they're everywhere. Sexual abusers are everywhere. And I want to make a distinction here between homelessness and sexual predators. They are not one and the same. These are two different populations in our culture, and it's important not to conflate them. So when I considered the high number of homeless to such a low population, and then added in the idea that one in every six women is going to be sexually assaulted at least once in her lifetime, and pressed those statistics up against Murphy's population of 1920, according to the census, maybe it wasn't so surprising that two of the three women I interviewed for this story had experienced domestic abuse and sexual assault. And even the drug and alcohol addiction that gripped Tiffany at such a young age, I mean, she was a preteen when she started, is less baffling when seen through the idea that Murphy's average income is about $30,000 a year. And with a poverty rate at 32.1%, both of Tiffany's parents had to work full-time plant jobs in order to provide for their family of five. And Tiffany, who must have been this vivacious, energetic, mischievous child, well, she must have been really lonely. She tells me that even now she remembers what it was like to be high, and it wasn't a bad thing for her. Do you remember what it feels like to be high? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you ever forget that. What and I liked tr- being high. I enjoyed it. The whole bit. It took a long time for Tiffany to break free of her drug and alcohol addiction. She birthed a child during that period. She was homeless, living under a bridge. I asked her what she fed her child while she was homeless, and she said she worked at McDonald's during this time. Me and my son, when he was four months old, we were homeless for a little bit, and then my dad found out he took us in. But it. Where did you sleep? Under the bridge. What bridge? In Andrews. Was it cold? It was rainy. And so... How did you eat during those days? I worked at McDonald's. So we, so my son <laughs> ate a lot of McDonald's. But Tiffany's drug and alcohol abuse had lasted so long, I mean over a decade, that the cost was really high on her body. I used to stay up for like 31 days straight. I weighed 89 pounds when I got clean. And when I got clean, what happened well, is you're I... nearly dead. I had a kidney infection that got in my bloodstream. And my fever was 105 when I went to the emergency room. So I was in there for a couple of days, and the doctor he sat in the little corner, you know, in the chair, and he was like, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, you're going to die. So I went home and got high. I got high for about a month. But shortly after that hospital stay, Tiffany was able to wrench herself away from her addiction. 17 years later in her sobriety, she still suffers from the physical devastation that drug abuse weighs on the human body. I have really bad teeth, so I haven't got these ice cream in years, but I get new teeth soon. You're getting new teeth. At the end of this month, they're going to pull all the top and get dentures and then fix the bottom. Is that from drug use? Yes, ma'am. Is that the last casualty you have from the drug use and then you'll sort of be completely physically free of all of the... Yeah. I mean, drugs really tore my body up in the sense. It aged me faster, you know. And How old are you? I'm 41. My kidneys, you know, sometimes. Cause, but, but that's from the drug use. But I didn't... I'm lucky. I see the ones that kept going when I stopped. And Wow. Tiffany, with her high energy and almost childlike eagerness to love and be loved, is going to be fine. She landed among powerful, good women. But of course, she would say God led her there. But for Cecilia, she landed exactly where she wants to be. 
I love to volunteer to help the community. I love it. It fills that one part of my heart and my soul that just nothing else can replace. So my desires are helping other people. That is what I was meant to do. I didn't want to leave our conversation without knowing a little something about her. So I asked her what she does on her time off. Um, I like criminal minds and special victims units and um, NCIS and those kind of movies. When you watch your shows, are you a savory person? You like the salty snacks or the sweets? I'm a salty. <laughs> I love to cook, but don't tell my husband. Um. <laughs> I think the community is going to find out when they listen to the podcast. I do not bake, but I do I do enjoy cooking. Like what? What's a meal that you're, when your kids come home to visit you would make for them? Um, we always um, normally cook out and do barbecue chicken and uh, my mom's potato salad. I make that. What's the secret ingredient in the potato uh, salad? Uh, no, ah! ma'am. <laughs> You're not going to tell. No, I'm not. And that just leaves us with Jessica, the third woman in our story about three of the women who are the faces behind Reach. What's a guilty pleasure? What's something you enjoy doing when you're off the clock and you're just relaxing? Sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have a a date night every Friday. So the family gets together. We watch movies, pop popcorn. What kind of movie? Disney, feel good. We don't do scary in my house. We don't do suspense just because I live it every day. I think the stories of these women are compelling because they represent the best in all of us. These women were dealt some really lousy, rotten, and sometimes horrifying circumstances. And all three of them chose to collect the pain and harvest it into something beautiful, something that gives back to their community. I think Jessica summed it up when I asked her what made her happy. I am an advocate for those that don't have a voice. I love what I do. I absolutely, I wake up every morning, I'm like, I get to help someone today. If you are a victim of domestic abuse or sexual assault, you can reach out to these capable women on their 24-7 confidential hotline at 828-837-8064 or find them online at reachofcherokeecounty.org. That's it for this episode. We'll see you here next time for Front Porch Productions, a podcast brought to you by the Cherokee Scout. The world is full of really good people, and we're pretty lucky that most of them live in Murphy. Music used by permission from Ketza Drops.